are here for a reason. This news just in. We are your news now. Right on radio. For continuous coverage, the latest information separate fact from opinion. Get the truth. Get the news. You're listening to Right On Radio. I sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Yah is my strength and song, and he has become my deliverance. He is my heir, and I praise him, Elohim of my Father. And I exalt him. Yahuwah is a man of battle. Yahuwah is his name. He has cast Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. And his chosen officers are drowned in the sea of reeds. The depths covered them. They went down to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Yahuwah, has become great in power. Your right hand, O Yahuwah, has crushed the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you pulled down those who rose up against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble, and with the wind of your nostrils, the waters were heaped up. The floods stood like a wall, the depths became stiff in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I pursue, I overtake. I divide the spoil, my being is satisfied on them. I draw out my sword, my hand destroys them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you? Yahuwah, among the mighty ones, who is like you, great in Kodeshah, awesome in praises, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your kindness, you led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you guided them to your Kodesh dwelling. 
people heard, they trembled. Anguish gripped the inhabitants of Elisheth. Then the chiefs of Edom were troubled, the mighty men of Moab. Trembling grips them, all the inhabitants of Canaan melted. Fear and dread fell on them by the greatness of your arm. They are as silent as a stone. Until your people pass over, oh Yahuwah. Until the people whom you have bought pass over. You bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, oh Yahuwah, which you have made for your own dwelling, the meek Dash, oh Yahuwah, which your hands have prepared. Yahuwah reigns forever. And ever. Wow, that song has just about everything in it, doesn't it? Uh, what an amazing job on uh, the song of Moses. Uh, thank you, Lord. Hey, thank you for being here. This is Right On Radio. My name is Jeff. We're continuing in our study of the book of Acts. And I think what's important about uh, this particular chapter that we're going to cover is, you know, Paul the Apostle, he's been called the Great Apostle. He wrote two-thirds, approximately, of the New Testament. So God clearly thought that Paul was important, and Paul's lessons were important. Paul got it. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He studied under the, you know, the most beloved uh, Pharisee. Uh, starts with a G. I forget his name now, but uh, it was mentioned back in chapter 9 or 10. Uh, but, you know, Paul had the very best training. And he was such a good Pharisee. He he was going after people in the way. He was stopping the spread of it. He was there when Stephen was executed and he cheered it on. But that day, I think, when Paul was watching Stephen be stoned was very paramount to him. And I think it really stuck in his spirit because... He saw someone being stoned to death, but yet having joy and not showing fear. And yeah, I think that's just a, all a bit of a background into what we're going to see here in this chapter. And just give me one second. I just have to change a setting on my computer. All right, that should do it. And... So if we just go back uh, a little bit in, from the last chapter, you know, Paul is going against trial for the fourth time and 
you know, there's never been any evidence that would stick to him. And the Romans are saying, look, you know, a guy has got to be able to face his accusers because the accusers didn't show up. The uh, Asian Jews did not show up and they were the ones with the allegations. And so the Romans were, you know, essentially saying that, you know, this is a religious argument uh, about the Jewish faith. We don't see any reason for Paul to be put to death, but yet um, he's remained in custody because they didn't know what to do with him. Paul was a bit of a hot potato, you might say. And so Paul has been there and now King Agrippa, who is a Herod, comes in and, you know, and Paul in the last part of chapter 25 was saying, you know, he he's glad to be in front of King Agrippa because King Agrippa should know a thing or two about this person, Jesus, that Paul claims has been resurrected. And and indeed, King Agrippa, uh, although he's, you know, a 17-year-old uh, person uh, at the time, he does know about it because, it, you know, it was... It was his father who had John the Baptist executed. You know, they they know, he knows the story. So uh, Paul is kind of glad to be sitting in front of him. And uh, and Bernice, we can't forget. <laughs> Whenever this, this king, Agrippa, and he was only a king of a smaller territory uh, because he was so young, but whenever his name is mentioned, it's and Bernice. And Bernice, and again, um, from what we understand, is it was a uh, uh, incestuous relationship. Not that that bears too much on the story, but Paul is now in front of them. And if there's one thing I want you to really take away from this, is it's Paul. Paul's defense is his testimony. And your testimony is equally as important because when you give a testimony, and it has to be fairly short, people don't want to listen to 20 minutes, especially if they're not interested uh, too much. But if you if you could do a you know an elevator pitch, let's say, of your testimony, as Paul really does here, um, what's nice about a testimony, and I don't think a lot of people really consider the fact that when you give a testimony, you're saying, hey, I was like you. I was an unbeliever. So, you know, you're saying, I came from the same place that you're at. But now I'm in a new place. So I I have seen both sides. And of course, your testimony is very hard to argue with because it's your testimony. Uh, but it's also best to be able to present some evidences with it. You know, too many times as disciples of Christ, we would just like to see, you know, someone says something like, you know, about homosexuality or something like that. We'd like to say, well, in the book of, and we quote the verse. And you know what? To an unbeliever, that means nothing. Okay. I don't believe in the Bible. So what does that matter? They might say to you. But when you make it personal and when you give your testimony, it has power because your testimony has power. And, you know, some of you might be thinking, well, you know, listen, I, uh, I've i only come to God, you know, gradually. There was nothing, no de real defining moment. Well, there was a defining moment when you 
finally accepted Jesus into your heart. And maybe the earth didn't shake. That's okay. It was still a supernatural thing. And your eyes were opened and you were transferred out of the world system into the kingdom system. You were literally transferred. You live under a different set of rules now, essentially. Because although we are to obey Caesar or the laws of the land, nothing supersedes what God says. Nothing. So we are under that system. Anyways, let me get into the scriptures here. Uh, again, thank you for being here today. I think you're going to enjoy this particular study. It's a, it's a fairly quick one. That's why I'm doing it by myself again. Um, let me just pray for you first. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, as I pray for myself as well, but Heavenly Father, what an honor it is to come before you. What an honor it is to read the Word of God and to have thousands of people hear my voice in reading your Word. It is an honor and a privilege and something that I do not take lightly. And Father God, I pray for each person here as they hear your Word, that they get out of it what was intended for them. Lord, every time we look at your Word, we see something new. It isn't the same old stories. The depth of your word is beyond measure. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. That there isn't a supercomputer in this world that could put together your book, your word, and mostly because your word is alive, God. It is a supernatural experience just reading your word, because the only way that we can understand it is by your Holy Spirit. So, Father God, I pray for your Holy Spirit right now to come into everyone that's listening to this broadcast, and I pray that the Holy Spirit even comes uh, greater into me, and I give the Holy Spirit full permission to do the Father's will in my life, that I may glorify Jesus in this, that I may glorify the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit because you are worthy. And Father, if there's anything that I say that is not right, I pray that it falls off of their ears, and Lord, that I'm even brought to immediate correction, or correction that I can come on and publicly retract any statement. But Father God, I trust you, I believe in you, and I have faith in you, and I pray for every single person that's here. Lord, I pray for their provision, I pray for their health. I pray even most of all, Lord, for relationships and unity, commitment to the body, commitment to each other. Lord, it's only by your spirit because, you know, if it wasn't for, for our bond in this community even, Without you, Lord, uh, we probably wouldn't talk to each other. We're very different people, and we all live in different places all around the world. But it's by your majesty and the, by the power of your spirit and your word that you've brought together this bunch of people. And Father, it is an honor to be able to read your word to each one. 
Grant us this day your wisdom, Lord, and let it transform into action in our lives. And I pray this in the name of Yahuwah, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who died on the cross for our sins and to save the world. Hallelujah, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, wow, I went a little bit long without <laughs> even reading the uh, the book, but I hope it was worth uh, it was worth the uh, the setup. Uh, oh, by the way, just a real quick announcement. Uh, I'm going to extend for this week only uh, the invitation to submit your worship song because, quite honestly, there's uh, some of you who I know should be uh, putting together a worship song because some of you are worshipers and you sing and you play, but you haven't sent it yet. So here is my grace to you. Uh, please send a video to write on Jeff at gmail.com. Uh, use we transfer is probably the best way to send that video. And again, you know, try to make it under five minutes. And if you have to do any preamble, make it as short as possible. I do appreciate it. And uh, it is in service to the Lord. Uh, don't be afraid to, don't be ashamed to put yourself out there because you don't want to be, you don't want the father to be ashamed of you. All right. Chapter 26. Now Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul extended his hand and proceeded to make his defense. Regarding all the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate that I am about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you listen to me patiently. So then all the Jews know my way of life since my youth, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and in Jerusalem, since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. And now I'm standing trial for the hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. And as they earnestly serve God night and day for this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God raises the dead? So I thought to myself that I had to act in strong opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but I also cast my vote against them when they were being put to death. And as I punished them often in the name of the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And since I was extremely enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even into foreign cities. While so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission 
of the chief priests at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you were prosecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you as a servant and a witness, not only to the things in which you have seen me, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles for whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. For that reason, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but continually proclaimed to those in Damascus first and in Jerusalem and then all the region of Judea and even the Gentiles that they are to repent and turn to God, performing deeds consistent with repentance. For these reasons, some Jews seized me in a temple and tried to murder me. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to a small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. As whether the Christ was to suffer and whether at first from the resurrection of the dead, he would proclaim both light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And while Paul was stating these things in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. <clears throat> but Paul said, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I am speaking out with truthful and rational words. For the king knows about these matters, and I also speak to him with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. And for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you are going to persuade me to make a Christian of myself. And Paul said, I would wish to God that even in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day would become as such as myself, except for these chains. The king stood up, the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had gone out, they began talking to one another, saying, this man is not doing anything 
deserving death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Uh, thank you, Lord. There's so much in this chapter, and I, I'm promising that I'm not going to make this uh, an hour and a half. I'm trying to keep the shows under an hour, actually. Um, and some of them I'm going to be making even shorter than that uh, in the coming days. So what's good here, first of all, is uh, obviously Paul has an audience with Agrippa. Festus is there. Festus is like the governor. And Paul is permitted to speak for himself. And, you know, I, I like to visually picture these things in my mind. And, you know, Paul extends his hand and proceeds. Like, you know, it's a, it's almost grandiose. You know, for what many people say, he was kind of a short, stocky guy, bow-legged with a unibrow, right? But obviously, he was a super powerful presence, uh, uh, if by his intelligence alone. I think Paul was pretty much almost always the smartest guy in the room. So he, he says right away, uh, he starts off, and, and I don't think he's sucking up to King Agrippa here. But he says, regarding the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate that I make my defense before you uh, because you know all these things, you know all the customs, and he did know the customs. He knew King Agrippa because he was brought up in the Herod family, and he is the last Herod, by the way. Um, but he, he was Jews. He was a Jewish person, so he knew the Jewish faith. But because... He worked under the Romans. The Romans gave the Jews kind of this special permission, and they had their own kings. But it, the king was really underneath the uh, the Caesar, and it was Caesar Nero at this time. And we're going to get into him uh, as we find Paul going to Rome. But he talks about his days growing up, on, in, and I love. I really think the words are telling here. Um, so it was spent among his nation. So, you know, Paul of, he was probably sent to Jerusalem for his schooling. And so everyone, all the Pharisees knew him for a long time. He points that out. Um, and he lived a fair, a as a Pharisee, according to the strictest sect of our religion. I think that that is so important that he says there. So first of all, very strict rules, rules, rules. And it, it's so amazing because people think that the way or Christianity is full of rules and, and it's the exact opposite. God has done so much to set us free from the rules. And, and if you live According to God's word, there are no rules against you. <laughs> All things are permissible, essentially, if you live according to the rules. Uh, so there is nothing against you. But when he says from the strictest sect, what is a sect? So what comes to my mind immediately is 
these are different societies within the religion. And let me define religion. Now, right or wrong, uh, I define religion as a contrast to what we have in our relationship with Christ. Our relationship is not religion. It's relationship. Our relationship with Christ is I, by free will, chose to accept God, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior, and Jesus came to me. He sent his Holy Spirit to me. He received me. He received you as well. Religion, on the other hand, is man's attempt to reach God. Follow all the rules, do the works, do the good deeds, be seen, do this. But they also had all these sects. What other things come to mind that have sects or sectors? You know, I guess you could say it somewhat about the way we have different denominations and different ways of worshiping, but we are still one body. But the other side is really divided into sex. And when I say sex, that's not S-E-X, it's S-E-C-T-S. And again, it's man's attempt to reach God. That's what religion is. It's also the greatest controlling factor uh, over people as well. It's it's a man-made institution where what we worship is not man-made. It's man-saved. And then he goes on in verse 6 to say, And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. So in this sect, religious sect that he came out of, the Pharisees, synagogue of Satan, they were preaching, you know, the, the Torah, the book of Moses, and they're teaching about the coming Savior. The thing is, they just didn't receive him. You know, uh, many people say that, you know, the, the Jewish people are expecting, you know, him to come as he's going to come in his second coming as this great king. But he had to make a way for us first. Jesus fooled all of them. Who would have thought, certainly the devil didn't think of it, that God himself would come through the womb of a woman A new Adam. Hallelujah, God. And then he goes on to say, and why is it considered incredible among you people if God raises the dead? <laughs> True point, right? You know, God had already done spectacular miracles, you know, in the Old Testament, all kinds of legendary stories, which they all believed. So why wouldn't they believe he could raise the dead? Again, it always just comes down to Jesus. Jesus is the only name with power. The only name with power. 
And what did the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, their courts, their system, what did they have? They had power, but their power would diminish if they conceded to Jesus. Ah, the most controversial person in the world. But yet, you know, you think about it, the world's time clock started ticking at Jesus' death. Kind of incredible. Even if you don't believe him, if you're a uh, you know, Muslim or at a different religion, your clock is still ticking based on Jesus. So Paul goes on to say not only did he uh, cast his vote uh, to have people put to death, he put the, he took you know put them in prisons, and he even concedes in verse eleven. I punished them often in the synagogues, and I tried to force them to blaspheme, since I was extremely enraged at them, and he kept pursuing them to foreign cities. So this guy was so on fire as a Pharisee that he was even trying to coerce them into blaspheming. And by the way, did the uh, the Pharisees do that to Jesus? They tried to entrap him so many times. But of course, Jesus being the word of God, I think he knew it a little bit better than they do. Um, and he never fell into it. But So this was obviously something that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. And what would happen if they caught someone blasphemy? Gave them more power. Now it gave them power over that person's life or death. And then he goes on, uh, while so engaged on his way to Damascus, under the authority and the commission of the chief priests at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. And I just think about this, you know, many of us have come out of some kind of a, a indoor event or something like that, you know, in the midday and we walk out of an arena or a movie theater or whatever it is. And you walk out into the bright sun and, you know, it's hard to take right at first. You have to get acclimated to it. But this is midday. And he says the light was brighter than the sun. Blinding. In fact, it did blind him. And this is such an incredible thing because this is obviously, it's not a torch or any technology that they had. There's nothing that can be said against his testimony here because it's his testimony. And thankfully, there were many witnesses with him. So not only does he have his testimony here where he's begins, so he gave a bit of background, didn't spend a lot of time on it. And now he gets into his testimony, but he also has the evidence because of the people who are with him. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting for me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Write in the chat if you know what a goad is. Does anyone know what a goad is?
all right but i'm not that patient and i don't want dead air so i'm just going to say to you um a goad essentially is a long stick with like a nail at the end of it and you know if you wanted a, a large animal to move and you know animals can be stubborn sometimes you would prod it in the in the butt usually and you know getting a big nail stuck in its butt it starts to move forward makes sense but some animals are very stubborn and if they kick against the goad um uh, it hurts them even better even more they've kicked it and they've attacked they went at it with force and so it doesn't hurt the goad or the person holding the goad. So when Jesus says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. I heard one person say, uh, and it really stuck with me about this verse. And when I talked about Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, I, th I just think, and, and this someone else mentioned this, but it resides well with my spirit. That Paul, that the Lord is actually pointing out to Paul that this, the, the stoning of Stephen was like kicking against the goads. I, I think it, he couldn't get it out of his mind. And, and obviously, you know, Jesus appears to him right after the stoning of Stephen. But it's just amazing. And then Paul says, well, who are you, Lord? So he, he knew it was someone large and in charge, uh, for sure. And the Lord said, I am Jesus in whom you are prosecuting. Get up and stand on your feet for this purpose. I've appeared to you to appoint you a service and a witness to the other things and what you've seen about me. And he goes on to tell him he's going to go to not only the Jew, but to the Gentile and whom I'm sending you. And then verse 18 is another one that really sticks out to me. And in verse 18, it says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So let's just look at that for a second. And we, we there's a couple ways to look at dark to light, but here it's coming out of a world of darkness to kingdom's heaven. So um, he's putting it that way. And the power of Satan to God, right at the very beginning of this, remember I said, and this is part of the new goggles teaching, so it's really fresh in my mind, of course. But when you were born again, you were transferred out of the world system, which is Satan's system. And you're put into the kingdom system. And scripture acknowledges it right there. And that you may receive forgiveness, of course. We need to be forgiven. And... I think one of the most interesting things about the forgiveness of sins and it's the covering by Jesus' blood that, that really redeems us. But Jesus will know of your sins. 
I think the Holy Spirit knows of all your sins as well. But it's hidden from the Father. When you stand before the Father, because of Jesus, the Father will never have seen your sin. He'll only have seen Jesus in you. Believe me, in, in eternity, that's going to be a really big deal, folks. That's going to be a really big deal in eternity. So then, you know, Paul being the great, uh, giving a great defense here using his testimony, he says, for that reason, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but continually proclaimed those in Damascus first and in Jerusalem and then all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they are to repent and turn to God, performing deeds consistent with repentance. Now, you got to think of, you know, the king's listening to this and he knows Jewish law. Well, well you know, that's all sounding pretty good to me. What What is this man doing wrong? Nothing. But why do the Jews hate him so much? Because he's powerful. By the way, when you start giving your testimony like this, and I, and I really hope you do give it more often, um, there's going to be a lot more people coming against you. Just saying, when you get effective, you get opposition. And, it, and after a while, it gets amusing. So that's that's kind of a cheerful thing. Don't uh, don't think about it as a detrimental thing. It's it's actually a really good thing. Be of good cheer when you have opposition come against you. And opposition and problems are always opportunities for power. But now you're not seeking your own power. You're not seeking things but you're getting more power in his kingdom. And when you have more power, it's more of God going through you because he can trust you more and more and more. So honestly, celebrate when you get these trials and tribulations. So then he goes on to say the Jews in the temple tried to uh, seize me and tried to have me murder, murder me, but having obtained help from God... I'm still here being able to testify before you. So now he's making a bold claim. Even God helped me in that because they would have, they would have had me killed. Like I was outnumbered. There was, you know, all these things, all these plots, these powerful people, but God got me out of it. And he did. And then he goes on to say that uh, the, the prophets and Moses said was going to take place as whether the Christ was to suffer or whether the first resurrection of the dead. And, you know, the resurrection of the dead, the first resurrection of the dead, I often hear people ask the question, well, because Lazarus died and Jesus rose him from the dead before Jesus died, so how could Jesus be the first resurrection? I'm glad you asked that question. Jesus' resurrection is for eternity. Lazarus was resurrected, but Lazarus would die a natural death again. Really simple point. Some of you might not have thought about it. Some of you might have. 
So then, uh, while Paul was stating these things in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. I find it really curious why he said this. It's very curious and it's kind of out of nowhere because Festus, you know, didn't want to make any decisions or anything. That's why Agrippa is brought in. But you got to remember from last chapter, this is all under great pomp and circumstance. They're all wearing their best jewelry, their best purple robes. The king's got his crown on. All the top generals are in their dress uniforms and everything else is standing there. So the only thing I can think of when Festus says this is he just wants to be noticed and maybe, you know, crack a joke sort of thing. Uh, but Paul quickly diffuses it and says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking out with truthful and rational words. For the king knows in these matters, and I also speak to him with confidence, since I'm persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. And man, did that ever backfire on Festus. Can you just see him, you know, he stands up to make this bravado statement. And then Paul says, hey, okay, you're kind of an idiot because the king knows this. How, you know, <laughs> I just love it. Uh, totally outsmarted again. And then he addresses the king and says, do you believe in the prophets? I know you believe. Doesn't even wait for him to answer. But Agrippa did reply to Paul. And King Agrippa says, Paul, in a short time, you're going to persuade me to make a Christian of myself. Again, this is right after Festus says, you're crazy. <laughs> Paul redirects it to the king, compliments the king. The king, this is one of the greatest compliments you can give back to Paul, giving his testimony in such a short time, I want to be in the way. And of course, Paul says, not only you, but everyone who hears my voice on this day. Paul really had a passion for the resurrection power of Jesus. And Paul really had the greatest understanding, uh, you know, next to maybe John the Revelator and uh, stuff of what was to come. Paul really had it. And John the Baptist probably had some insight into this as well. But Paul, really exceptional in how he defended the gospel. I, I think the greatest apologist for it. And what's interesting here, uh, the king stood up with the governor and Bernice, because <laughs> Bernice is always with the king, and they were talking amongst themselves. Uh, and he said, this man is not doing anything deserving of death. And obviously there's no evidence that has stuck against him. There's nothing that has happened, happened to him. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free, like basically right here, right now. But I can't because he's appealed to Caesar. And this is really interesting 
But don't forget, Paul remembers that the Lord promised him he would not only go to Jerusalem, he would go to Rome. And by appealing to Caesar, which he had the right to do as a Roman citizen, he now has his travel plans. And through God's provision, the Roman government is paying for his transportation. Now, it's unfortunate that he is going to be standing in front of Nero, and Nero is probably the worst uh, in history of all the Caesars. He would basically put human bodies on stakes and use them alive and pour oil over them and torch them to light his streets. This man uh, was sick and Paul is going to go before him. And, you know, Nero is eventually going to be the person who has Paul put to death. But Paul gets his message to the most powerful people in the world both small and great, as he gives in his testimony here in this chapter. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul and Paul's testimony and just even for for how you appeared before Paul. Lord, there is none greater than you. And yeah, Paul wasn't scared to die. And neither should we, Lord. To be absent to the body is to be with you. Of course, we don't want death, and Paul didn't want death. Paul was very clever in how he escaped the trappings of the enemy. And Lord, we want to be clever in those ways too. We want to live out every day that you've allotted for us. And we want to bring more souls into your kingdom. And we want to love those who you've appointed for us to love. So, Father God, we thank you for your word, for this testimony. And, Lord, I just pray for each one that they learn from this example and actually take time to work out and practice our testimonies. Lord, that we can give it in a short time, that it can be engaging with people, convincing to people to at least have them consider with deep thought the way. And I pray this in the name of Yahweh. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for being here. And thank you for being on the uh, the prayer uh, call last night. I couldn't stay till the end last night, but uh, it was really good. And please continue to pray for the rescue efforts in Florida and all those people who are out there doing it in the Carolinas. I don't know how much for rescue efforts happening there and in Georgia, but I'm sure there's some flooding and things like that as well. Uh, pray that as many lives are saved and even more are turned to the kingdom because of this. There's nothing like a good scare that makes you want to seek the Father.
and cry out to Jesus because, again, it's the only name with power. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Get me your worship tapes, and we'll be back on a regular schedule with shows and probably a lot coming out. There's so much to catch up on. Uh, it's just hard to decide which which shows to do first. But uh, I have to catch up on my household duties, apparently, first. And, man, do I got a honey-do list. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, everyone, for being here. May God richly bless each and every one of you. And, of course, remember, oh, I hit the wrong button. Remember to love your God, love your family, love your neighbor as yourself, because Scripture commands it, and make a difference in your community. <laughs>